0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to Keeping It Wild Outdoors. This is an Outdoors Podcast. My name is Dana Christofferson. Tonight we got Matt Federation and Jordan Zare here. And uh, got a pretty fun episode, so I think you guys are gonna enjoy listening to it. What's up Matt? Jordan? How we doing? How's it going? Pretty good, you? Just
1: living the life, man.
0: Yeah, cool. So it's June 15th. Matt, it's been like a month since we went up. North turkey hunt, right? Yep. Because we're not second week of the season?
2: Second or third week in May. Okay, so it's just about a month. What was that like? It was a good time. It was definitely a different experience. Um, weather kind of put a damper on the hunt, but overall it was a lot of fun. Snow definitely slowed everything down, bird gobbling-wise. Um, made it harder to try and locate any birds and get them fired up throughout the day.
0: Have you hundred, ever hunted turkeys in the snow before? I can't say I ever have. Jordan? No, sir. No, Yeah, that was new, and I think that the spring hit later than it normally does. Mm -hmm. Like, it was cold for a long time this winter, and I don't know if that slowed down the breeding because when we were up there, the birds were in huge groups.
2: Yeah, I've never seen flocks like that during turkey season. I mean, we
0: saw maybe one or two groups of, like, less than three birds, but apart from that, there's probably at least ten birds in every group that we saw, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we went up one night after work, and we tried to get there before dark so we could do some scouting. What was our scouting night like?
2: started out rough. We went up on the hill, and it started to snowing. We couldn't see absolutely anything, and we drove around and drove around and didn't see much anything. It was a little discouraging. Um, but then once we got down in the flats, more into foreign country, and got out of the snow, we started to see a lot more turkeys, and that became a little more promising for the next day.
0: Yeah, I think that going up there, our plan originally was, you know, let's try to hunt state lane birds and, and see yeah. if we can muster up, but we saw one hen up there, right? Yeah, Where one or two hens cross the road, and that was about it,
2: and we, we probably drove around for a half hour to an hour. and At least. Yeah. And
0: didn't have a lot of luck, so then we came down off of the state park, back to, like you were saying, in the flats, and then off to the left, you remember we saw like four or five birds and mm-hmm. a couple of beards in there? Yep. So then we got excited because, like, we weren't seeing anything. We are kind of thinking, we just drove all this way. And it was not a lot of turkey side and it was snowing. Yep. Um, and then we tried to stop and get permission at that farm. No one came to the door. The plates were on inside. Someone's watching TV. I'm knocking. No one answers. So we had to scratch that one off our list, and we just kept driving. Mm-hmm. And then what happened?
2: Seemed like every field we came to those turkeys in. Like a lot of turkeys. Yeah, like significant amount of turkeys. So
0: finally we stopped at a farm where the guy gave us permission. Yep. And in so many words, he's like, yeah, get these turkeys out of here. Uh, right? Yep. But he was happy to have us come and, you know, try to hunt and get a couple of birds out of there. Uh, so by the time we kind of buttoned that up and finished, and we stopped one more place, right, and the guy Stopped at two more. We
2: stopped at the one, and the guy was from like Vermont or something, and was living in a shed. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was really creepy. We had
0: really high hopes for that spot yeah, too because there was because a lot was of strutters up there. A lot field. of strutters, and there was a ton of land, mm-hmm. like a thousand acres at least, probably. Yep. That we would have been able to hunt if we got permission. Beautiful there. fields and hardwoods, and just looked great for turkey <clears> hunting. It was like turkey country, mm-hmm. and uh, we weren't able to get permission there. And then the other guy, and mind you, it's snowing, and up there, that's just a spring squall. Yep. Uh, Because a guy came out of his, the last place we stopped, he came out of his house in shorts and a t-shirt to talk to us about Turkey. Nice as could be, Mm -hmm. but he had just given someone else permission from, drove all the way up from Poughkeepsie, right? Yep, some UPS driver or something. Some UPS driver, I don't know, I guess they didn't have a lot of packages to deliver, and uh, screwed us up, but um but anyway we had our eye on a spot that had a couple of different good sized flocks in it right mm-hmm. and so we went back to camp that night how excited were you for the next morning
2: i was so excited the number of turkeys that we saw in that one field where we were gonna go set up there everywhere there had to have been three different flocks that had long beards in it and it was just kind of trying to decide where we we're going to set up and how we we're going to do it but it seemed like we were bound to get in a turkey some way
0: yeah, I was, I was pretty optimistic and mm-hmm. thinking, eh, we're going to be back on the road heading home by 8 a.m.
2: Yep, snow had kind of stopped by that time. The sun had come out. I thought it was going to clear up, warm up the next morning. We were going to be in business.
0: Yeah, and then as we're walking out to the field, now Matt didn't want to wake up the next morning. <laughs> oh,
2: come on. So, you know,
0: so by the time we get out to the truck, it's daylight already. Not really. No. But anyway, <laughs> we're walking out to the field, and I see like this big. This bump in the tree, just one single, I'm like, there's no way that's a turkey. We get closer and there's one hen roosted on a branch. Not near any other bird. It
2: was like a sapling she was into. Like a sapling in the middle of a drainage ditch, <laughs> no other trees around. I don't know how she it was not could a rooster. stay in that tree at all. Yeah,
0: it was just like a. I mean, there was probably it was an inch or two inch diameter branch that she was in. Yep. On. And I'm like, well that's weird. But we went and got set up. Mm-hmm. And then what happened?
2: Heard a couple birds gobble. Maybe, what, probably 10, 12 gobbles topped off the roofs. Out of all those birds yes. we'd seen up there on that yeah, ridge. No. Um, and it just was quiet. But it was cold. It was so cold. We did not. We were not dressed and did it not bring like the clothing to be, third. if we were lucky. There was <clears throat> snow on the ground. Yeah. Um, and uh,
0: that was different. And, yeah. You know, Like like we said, none of us have hunting turkeys in the snow. It was not really the premise of turkey <clears throat> hunting. Um, so... Kind of threw us off. And yep. we had one bearded hen come in. Yep. About <laughs> five feet from us. She almost got dumped. But we let her go. Yeah. Um, and we wandered around and didn't. We really had that
2: one tom goblin a couple times and kind of came walking down the four-wheel oh, trail at the ridge. But he yeah. never kind of stayed in the apple orchard like 150, 200 yards above us. And then never heard anything after that.
0: Yeah. And so before I ever went turkey hunting with Matt, I was like, you bring decoys." You put decoys out, and you know you call the birds to the decoys, and you fool them, and you shoot them. Mm-hmm. What's your philosophy on? De- When's the last time you killed a turkey over a decoy? Uh, if ever,
2: maybe like a hen decoy, but I've never used a strut or anything like that.
0: So you killed a bird over a decoy?
2: Yes, probably. How long had, ago? Probably back in like seventh grade.
0: <laughs> um, never used a strut or decoy. Why not?
2: Some of the people I grew up around hunting said that's cheating. You Can't use full strutters and you can't use all that. Who are those people? Uh just some of my dad's friends growing up. So I've just it's been the way I've always been taught, and I've always just hunted the woods and called them in and gone about it that way. I never really hunted a ton of fields. And
0: Jordan, have you ever hunted over decoys? Oh, probably the last time he did was yeah. when he was with me Blizzard's in seventh Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, as of the turkey hunting you've done been with. Matt and his old man.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: How many birds do you think they've gotten you on? Oh,
1: pfft. every bird I've killed has been with Matt. So. Yeah.
0: Do, do you feel like hunting with them so much has given you enough that you'd be able to go out on your own and be successful?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been extremely fortunate to hunt with Matt and his dad and some of his friends and, you know, kind of learn the woods through their eyes. It's, it's, it's been a really nice segue for me as a hunter to become to feel like i can be independent moving forward
0: sure yeah the first time i ever went turkey hunting ever was with him and his dad also uh and then your dad got a call and like had to take off and just kind of left us and mm-hmm. we were like oh, we'll figure it out um but th- that i learned a lot just that one time that i went mm-hmm. hunting with them because you know if you've never been and it's like i was talking to chris a couple weeks ago if you've never been hunting, you don't know if you're doing it right or doing it wrong, and you have no idea, like, is this going to happen, or am I even, you know, close to, you know, doing what I should be doing. So it's cool that you've been able to have that mentorship. Yeah, with me. absolutely. So so after our first initial morning sit, right, remember we, mm-hmm. we got up and we tried to walk through the woods and, you know, just try to set up a few times and, and work birds. We heard zero gobbles.
2: No, but it got quiet real quick. After they flew down, they pretty much shut up, and that was... It was discouraging.
0: Yeah. Like, after what we saw the night before, and the amount of birds we saw in these fields, I had no idea where they could have gone. Because behind us, up that hill, where they were roosting on, it seemed like it was pretty much straight up.
2: Yeah, just a steep face of woods. So why
0: wouldn't they come down and feed on the cow shit in the fields? a good question (laughs) yeah it was like i mean that's part of hunting and you just say why 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 why. but Mm -hmm. uh so then we left and we went back up to the land behind camp Mm -hmm. that didn't work out we covered some ground just we covered a lot of ground
2: saw some deer saw porcupine
0: saw about everything
2: other than a turkey walking around
0: yeah and then we so that was probably around 10 o'clock ish yeah that then we said, all right, this spot's got no birds, or at least mm-hmm. we're not able to work them. Let's go back and see if anything moved down to those fields that we initially sat at this morning. Then we drove by the fields. What was in those fields? A load of a turkeys again. A <laughs> with of turkeys, and they're just laughing at us. But it was like one big flock. One it had to ter-
2: have been 15 to 20 turkeys, and they are just all together in one field. Yeah, I'd say, yeah,
0: that's probably accurate. And so the way, you know, when we drove past, they're on our left and we figured if we set up like behind this one field there's a big ditch that we'd be able to walk along that drainage and get up and get close to them and set up on them and guess what we got Matt to do in the midst of our setup yeah. he goes well I got this one hen decoy in my bag and so here I am dumbfounded that this guy who refuses to use decoys pulling a decoy out of his turkey vest I know Still didn't work. So <laughs> maybe we maybe we shouldn't have used the decoy after all. I mean it looked like basically like a crow decoy. It was so old and beat up. Yeah. I don't know if I had any color left on it. And uh we were sneaking, like I felt like special ops, you know, crawling through that ditch. We didn't decoy. scare those
2: turkeys. We were down at a drainage ditch, they didn't see us, there was a good wind, plain noise come from the farm, That we didn't
0: And there was a huge on. knob in between us and them yep. that they there's no way they would have seen us. And I mean, unless there was one straggler that saw us and spooked mm-hmm. the whole flock, but I don't think so.
2: No, I think they just worked their way back up onto that hill because they were kind of naturally walking through the middle of the field back up to the wood's edge again.
0: Yeah. And I think we were just too slow. Um,
2: yeah. And just because of the private property, we couldn't really circle around and get in front of the direction they were going. We could just kind of get close. Yeah. Um, if we could have gone up and on that, like woods behind them, I think we could have done better
0: yeah so the way jordan that the, like the field was set up is it was down like in almost like in this basin in this bottom and then behind that field it just went straight up uh and it was all you know heavy timber hardwoods and i think they just worked their way up that field because when we we're looking at our onyx we saw above that in between that you know we're that lower field and the other woods and above that there was another field i think if i had to guess we're working their way towards that yeah
1: um, well, let me let me stop you there because I, I I'm really glad you just brought up Onyx because I was gonna ask when you guys were scouting and you guys were you know looking at properties to hunt and stuff. You made a comment about how you could have potentially had up to a thousand acres to hunt. So that leads me to believe that you did some sort of preparation with regards to trying to find a potential farm or something. So can you just speak a little bit a little bit about how you know you were uh, thinking about what fields to get access to and yeah,
0: well with that. I have X and I have the subscription, but it wasn't like I had done a bunch of homework ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I think that these areas are going to hold turkeys. It was like, let's get on the road, let's see what it looks like, mm-hmm. and then we can pull that up and see who owns it. Sure. And so, that one property I was talking about that was 1,000 acres, it was a bunch of different parcels that were all connected, and each one of them was owned by the same person. Mm-hmm. And so, you're like, okay, that parcel's 200 acres, that one's 50, that one's 500, you know, that one's 70. And all those parcels connected make up, you know, what what is a turkey hunter's dream habitat. Because there's a huge drainage valley kind of going through the middle of it. Mm-hmm. There's big open green fields on each side. There's, what, clover, alfalfa. Yep,
2: hidden from the road in spots. The turkeys <laughs> can get back in a and not be bothered. And
0: you wouldn't even see them. It just looked ideal. And when we pulled up on that spot, well, I didn't even want to stop. Because, like, up there... Like, you got meth, man. And, like, you look at some of these shacks. Like, you got you got family up there. You've driven past some of these places, and you can't believe people live in them. Mm-hmm. So, we're driving past. This place has no front door in it. Now, mind you, they don't measure snow in inches. Yeah. They measure snow in feet. Mm-hmm. And a house that doesn't have a front door makes me nervous. And I know we got guns, and Matt's a cop, but... I'd rather not go down that road. Sure. So we drive past the place at least three or four times. And Matt's like, we got to stop because there's a car there. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, not feeling good about it. My car, like, right, whatever. So we get out of the truck, and Matt lets me walk first. even he though <laughs> He's the one that wants to stop. And so I'm kind of leading, and behind the house, there's, like, a barn that is in a hell of a lot better shape than the house And because we pulled in kind of, like, behind the house. The whole back of the house was gutted, so it was inhospitable. Like, you couldn't live in there, but we see there's, like, a smokestack coming out of the barn, yep. and there's a fire, there there's smoke coming <clears throat> out of it, and we hear, what, there's a music playing, or, like, an engine running. Yeah, something a little something, weird. Something a little weird. Door was wide open. Door was wide open. This guy's got a mattress on the concrete <laughs> in there, and he comes out and, like, kind of, like, didn't push us, but, like, got really close to us to get us away from the doorway of that barn. Mm. I don't know what was going on, with him. but like it wasn't warm, and this guy was in a t-shirt, sweating bullets. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he was working out. P90x. There. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, beach body. I don't know. <laughs> There's so much room for activities. Yeah. And anyway, we get talking with him, and he said that you know, when the corona broke out, he was living up in Portland, Maine, and he came came out here to get away from it all, and it's his mom's land. Hmm. And <clears throat> as odd as this situation was, he seemed rather friendly. <clears throat> And he said that if it were up to him, he'd be like, yeah, I have no problem with you hunting, but it's not technically my land. Let me call my mom. Calls his mom, and after he gets off the phone, he says, she doesn't let anyone but family on the land. So, but anyway, we didn't get shot. We didn't, like, have any drug issues with that guy. Yeah, It was sketchy. It was but worth a shot. It would have been awesome if it worked out, because when we first left that spot we hunted the next morning... We drove past this lane where we saw birds, and there was a couple of toms out there just strutting.
2: Mm-hmm. And then and they were out
0: there again. We went through, and we finished up hunting. And it just, it makes you sick because you're <laughs> like, no one's hunting that. The turkeys, as far as I can tell, get no pressure up there.
2: I didn't see a single person hunting.
0: No one, it was a Thursday morning. Thursday? Wednesday? I don't know. Yeah, sometime middle of the week. No one was up there hunting, and there's just birds everywhere which is also surprising considering how harsh the winners are that that many that there's that many turkey numbers but anyway so that's a really long-winded answer to your Onyx question but no i didn't do a lot of e-scouting mm-hmm. when i went to pennsylvania hunting turkeys i did a ton of e-scouting on that and i learned a lot from that one about what i'm looking at on the topo and the land features mm-hmm, mm-hmm. compared to what it's like in real life sure because like i if I thought that I was relatively good at reading a topo map, you know, and if the lines are close, it means it's steeper, and if they're far away, it means it's gradual. Well, I don't know if the topo was off, or I was just looking at it like too zoomed in so the lines seemed really far apart because there was one spot that I was like, oh, that'd probably like a nice hillside, blah, blah, blah. It was straight up, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay. So, like I said, I learned a lot from e-scouting and then going and seeing what I had in my head to what it was actually like. Um but we didn't do that for I didn't do that for our trip. But man, that is the best twenty five dollars you can spend in a year.
2: Never used it before that trip when I got the free trial and we were up there yeah. and I bought it. The second we got back I bought it. I always used what is it, Scout Look or Hunt Stand or whatever that is. Yeah. And it's Doesn't it's, even it's so there. much better. Yeah. yeah. Unlimited, you know, you can look at the who owns each property. And it's awesome.
0: Just,
1: yeah. Yeah. So we just hunt on X for a lot of our stuff up north. Up north, yeah. yeah. Just with all the big woods. It's so,
0: when you go up there hunting, how much land does like your family own that you guys are able to hunt? Or are you hunting a lot of state land or what's that like?
1: Um, so we're pretty fortunate. Um, my grandfather bought this uh, plot of land, um, our hunting camp that we hunt now. And it's, we have two different camps on it. And it's about five to 600 acres um, of just our land. And then uh, there is quite a bit of state land up there. So um, again, we're pretty fortunate. There's, I think, upwards of like twenty or thirty thousand acres of state <laughs> land that we can roam. And I mean, uh, f- from where we are, which is around Harrisville, we can you could walk through the woods clear up to Tupper Lake. No so, kidding.
0: Yep. I never hit a road.
1: Uh, you might hit like an old dirt road or seasonal, so that's but it. not private land at least. Yeah. yeah. So
0: that's pretty cool how many how often do you get get up there deer hunting
1: um you it's kind of like a tradition for my dad and I to go up on Thanksgiving we'll go up the two days before and stay in camp and um, you know freeze pretty bad but yeah. you know it's, it's all part of the experience so
0: mm-hmm. and then is that so it's just like once a year that you go up yeah
1: well once a year for deer season we usually okay. go up I mean because ironically enough it's the hunt the deer huntings um, in the big woods it's not it's, it's not really anything like when you're hunting in agriculture, um, and, in around ag fields, you kind of need the really hard snows to come and hit the ag fields and knock everything down. Then the deer move into the big woods. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not even that great of hunting until you get some really nasty snows. Um, you know, or, or the other really good scenario is if somebody has logged their land Mm -hmm. and then they have all the fresh browse. And so the deer will move through there. But, you know, if you just have big open timbers, you're, You're going to be sitting watching a lot of trees before you see deer.
0: Yeah. So we go up north every year for opening weekend to rifle. Mm -hmm. And it is slow. Yeah. Like, compared to down here, like you said, where you're hunting ag fields, you're Mm -hmm. hunting over corn or a food plot or whatever, and Mm -hmm. you're constantly getting action. And the deer are almost a little bit more, for lack of a residential. Sure. Uh, Sure. So they're less spooked of people and they're more Mm -hmm. abundant and all that. And up where you go, are you able to shoot does or is it just bucks?
1: You have to get a permit, um, okay. which isn't very easy to get.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's the same lottery system that we use in all of our uh, zones down here, but it's just there's much tags Yeah, much there. fewer tags, yeah, okay. exactly.
0: Yeah, so we'll go up and we'll see deer, but they're all does. Mm-hmm. And then the bucks that we see are spike horns.
1: Yeah, they're well, so it's there's a totally different hunting mentality, and this is something that I kind of grappled with as a as a young hunter growing up uh, you know, it's, it's very different. It's a very different mentality when you're hunting up there. A lot of the folks will tell you like, you know, you're meat hunting. We're we're not hunting for racks. You can't eat the horns. You know, a lot of them are farmers. They have, they have full time 24 seven, you know, 365 days a year job. So when they're, when they're hunting, they're hunting for food, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't want to say it this way, but I don't want it to come off as, like, you know, us, like, uh, Southern Zone hunters have this privilege, Privilege, but, but, you know, they're... We're
0: we're snobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: but, you know, they're looking at it like, look, I have five hours this morning to make it happen, and my family's counting on me. You know, it's not, it's not that dire all the time, but that's kind of the um, family mentality that I've been brought up around, is like, look, you're out to hunt, meaning you're out to provide for the family, you're not out here to, like, have a good time, you know?
0: Yeah, and... I don't care what other people do. Mm -hmm. Like, you'll see guys that go out and shoot a spike horn, and they're just as excited Mm -hmm. as Matt will be when he shoots his 12-point bucket every
1: year. Every year. Right.
0: And that's, that's what gets them fired up. Yep. They get one weekend a year. They yep. don't get a lot of time because yep. they got shit to do. Yep. But up there, because I'm hunted up there too, and I get it, mm-hmm. right? If, if there's horns, yep. that thing is getting lead flung in. Yeah,
1: for like, sure. Like, that's it. For sure. You no know? questions. And like, and if you question it, you're not coming next time. Yeah, no, no.
0: Like, you shoot a buck, that guy's king. Yep. It doesn't matter. You know, it could be 11 point. Yeah. one side, you know, <laughs> one <laughs> each side.
1: Yeah. Our hunting styles are even different. You can totally tell, like, so, all of us in this room right now, I mean, we are accustomed to, you know, sitting in a tree stand for many hours or maybe doing a little bit of walking here and there. But, you know, up north, the name of the game is Covered Ground. Is and it's... Deer drives or just still hunting? Both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are the two primary, you know, ways that people harvest deer is wait till there's a little bit of snow, track a buck, you know, and then go kill them that way. Or get, you know, five, ten of your buddies together and put on a deer drive. No, no one's sitting around waiting for stuff right. to happen.
0: Don't get me wrong. I love a good gear drive. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Matt, when's the last time you, you actually drove gear? Uh, it's probably been a couple of years now. Yeah, because you're a snobby antler on, <laughs> <RPG> on <it. laughs> Oh, <that's good. laughs> No, so you shot two nice bucks last year. Yep. Uh, they're okay, I guess. Tell me about them. What'd you get? You shot... What was it an eight-point with your bow?
2: I shot a ten-point with my bow and then an eight Eight-point eight with a my, ...with my gun on it day. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so that actually brings up another question. De- depending on the time of the year, because you were saying before that you hunt... A lot of the places that you have permission to hunt are mm-hmm. ag fields and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is it mostly just you and your old man that had permission there, or is it a lot of other people?
2: Uh, it can be a lot of other people sometimes, too.
0: Is... So when you find out what the farmers have planted in each field, is that kinda of how you determine your strategy for what what field you're gonna hunt during like during which part of the year? So like in like October when post season opens, you might go hunt like alfalfa and then like corn later on, or how do you it seems
2: like generally if you can find like something green, whether it's mm-hmm. alfalfa, clover or something along that line, um, that's better early season, along with apples or acorns than as the season goes on. Um once, like, the rut starts to hit around Halloween, I don't even really hit as much the food anymore. Like, sometimes I might sit along some corn if there's some in the area. Or um, we have, like, a, a turnip food plot behind our house. But a lot of times I just get more into travel corridors along bedding and just spend my time that way and just hope that a, a buck is cruising for does. Um And that's a lot of times where I've done better. Yeah. It's just um, late morning, middle of the day. Like, the afternoon. Yeah, getting down. away from other people and just sitting long term and a lot of times those bucks get up and start cruising looking for does and if you're just it's a lot of luck and a lot of just putting your time in i try to take as much time off
0: so you come across a lot of people uh hunting the same areas you even like during bow season is it more during gun it's mostly during gun season
2: it seems like for me i see most my deer um specifically the last like two to three weeks of bow season Uh and then after like the first couple days of gun season it, it gets to be really hard, you know, between neighboring properties, um, or people that just can hunt the same property. Um they get people pressure and that
0: are out me hunting. They get pressured and they
2: feel that pressure and then they turn nocturnal and it gets it gets a lot harder to see deer and have sure. them like moving. So
0: <clears throat> Yeah. Do you guys do a lot of uh food plots and crap for deer season?
2: Uh to a degree. Um it's kind of a year by year thing of, mm-hmm. you know, how much time we have. Um we always do a little turn up, probably an acre behind our house that's you know, turnips and clover mixture in there right. um and that usually the deer don't hit it that much throughout the summer and you get that first frost around halloween hits and then it looks like they just mow it and they come and they just hammer it hard for a couple weeks yeah gun season comes around and they hit it a lot at night and they'll come and actually pull like the, the root of the turnip up yeah um and they'll feed on that throughout the winter
0: um, yeah
2: other than that i like to try and shoot my bow a lot and then i definitely spend a lot of time
0: can't shoot your bow a lot right now no yeah, yeah Matt just fell off a roof like a week ago. I don't know. He looks really proud about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. And uh, he had to get a plate and pins put in his trigger hand. So you might have to get one of those mouth things for your bow. You know, pull it back to this, and then you pull the tab back, and you shoot like that.
2: Doctor said I'd be able to shoot by DRCs. That was the first oh. question I asked him, and he said that was going to be good. We'll so. see. I don't know. I know. I might have to get you a crossbow. Oh, don't start with that. <laughs> I like shooting like shoot
0: my, my compound. <clears throat> um, Jordan, do you guys do any food plots? Or because you have so much ag fields behind you, you do not feel the need?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, it's, so when we're in, you know, when you're hunting in areas where it's, there are so many acres of just ag, corn and soybeans and whatnot. Um, we try to throw a little something different at them. So as, you know, Matt mentioned the turnip. So that's something we're trying this year. Uh, is a little turnip plot. Mm-hmm. Usually, we just get lucky and we can just hunt the farmers' ag fields, and that's yeah. you know. It's... Your dad
0: shot a pig a couple of years ago out there. Didn't yeah, he? yeah,
1: he got really he got really lucky sitting behind the <laughs> sitting behind the house and yeah, dandy.
0: Just lucky, no skill. Lucky no, because he was in the right place at the right time, and he knew there was a big buck back there. Oh, like...
1: he might like to think that, but you know, <laughs> it's um, you know, it's there's a really nice little location that we have to um to hunt as Matt. You know, as Matt kind of said the. The travel corridor, I think, is one of the most important things you can you can have for your deer stand. is a place where deer can travel and feel safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that will nine times out of ten surmount the uh, attraction of some sort of food. Because mm-hmm. if the deer don't feel protected, then they'll go nocturnal. That's the issue. is they'll they'll hit your food plot, but it'll be at, you know two three in the morning. Sure. So. Um, but no, so to answer your question, we usually just sit over ag fields if we're mm-hmm. hunting behind, if we're hunting in our zone down here. Yeah. Um, but up north, we don't, we yeah, haven't put food. We never up get up there. So yeah. It'd be tough. To it'd get. be very tough. Yeah. yeah.
0: Huh. Um, do you guys get much into the, uh, like, what weight of your arrow and the different brands of broad? Do you, like, break that stuff down a lot? Or are you just kind of like, I'm shooting what I've been shooting for a long time and it works?
2: Uh, I mean, I've tried some different arrows. I'm just using gold tips right now. I don't use anything expensive. As for broadheads, I've tried different rages and a mixture of expandables and fixed blades. I'm not sure what I'll go with this year. Yeah. Um, kind of mixed results on everything I've used. I guess nothing's perfect. Um,
0: yeah, so up until um, actually this spring, I never paid attention to the weight of my arrows. It was <laughs> just like shooting carbon arrows, you know, east and whatever. Um, and for a long time, I shot Thunderheads. Mm-hmm. They're like the OG Broadhead. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then this last season, I switched over to Schwackers. Okay. I never shot a mechanical Broadhead before. And I was, I'd heard a lot of pe- people like, oh, they don't open or they don't penetrate or what? You lose a lot of velocity. Um, and, but then I had a buddy who turned me on to him, and he consistently gets good deer and he's pretty good with a bow and, you know, whatever. And so I started, I got a few of the practice tips and I started practicing more than I liked the way they shot because the mechanical, it's like shooting like a field tip. Mm-hmm. Were they really similar to your field tip? Well, I got the practice field mm-hmm. tips for them. Yep. So it's like a mechanical broadhead that doesn't open. So yep. the same weight and everything. And so I was shooting the those and it was pretty good. And I was like, okay, I'll give them a try. And I shot an eight point with a bow this year. And man, like for deer, I was sold. Like, I shot this buck. I don't think he ran 70 yards. And just, that was it. It just, it finished him. It opened a hole on both sides. And it just looked like someone went through that field with a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And it was the easiest deer I've ever killed in my life because I shot him. Then I went to my truck, drove it out in the field, loaded him up, and went home. Like, it doesn't get much easier than that. Um, but, I, so I'm, I'm going out west in September with my bow and I have a elk and a deer tag so with any luck I'll get both with any luck I'll get one with a lot of luck I'll get both um, but with the people I've been talking to and what I've been looking into is that you typically don't use a mechanical broadhead on an elk because there's so much more mass mm-hmm. that if you hit a bone it's going to slow it down so much that you don't have a chance mm-hmm. I, I don't know I you know I, my buddy lives out there he's killed elk with bow he's like don't come out here if you bring mechanical brownheads so probably going to go to like a trocar okay. like a muzzy troll car or something like that um, and then I got the Easton full metal jacket arrows so they're like 10.2 uh, grains per inch alright mm-hmm. so it's a, four, it's a 29 inch arrow or 28 inch arrow so you know you're shooting a 300 grain arrow plus you know 100 or 150 grain broadhead it's like 455 grains that's a pretty heavy arrow but they say that the heavier arrow, the more me- the more velocity or the more power it hits with. Mm-hmm. So if you hit a bone or a rib or something, you got a better chance of breaking through. But I don't know. It's my first year looking into it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not too very. Uh, I'm not too well versed in the. Uh... And all the detail the finer details, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you just you just like shooting your bow. You I, yeah, I just like it. shooting. Yeah. yeah. But no, I think
1: I think it's fantastic to do that because the more intimate you can get with your uh, equipment, I think it's just
0: got the elite bow sitting there. There you
1: go. It. Oh so you do so you shoot an
0: elite. I do. How do you like it? Uh, it's okay. Yeah. Just okay. Okay. Yeah. I had a PSE in mm-hmm. I shot for like the last three or four years and I really liked it. It was fast, it was smooth, it was short, I think axle to axle it was like twenty eight inches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got this Elite, and it, it's nice, like, it's a nice bow, but it had 65-pound limbs on it, and I want something that a little bit heavier, um, again, for trying to shoot elk. So I got 70-pound limbs put on it, uh, which helped, you know, that was the biggest that they had, um, but I kind of feel like I'm shooting rainbows with it, and plus axle to axle, it's like 35 inches, so it's a bulky mm-hmm. bow, and... I don't know I put like a spot hug um, sight on it so it's got the dial so I'm mm-hmm. just like rangefinder okay 50 yards dial it up and shoot it I like the like the sight but I'm thinking about switching to a height one like the RX-4 the new one uh, or the Axios which is essentially the RX-4 but it's an aluminum chassis not a carbon Uh yeah. um, I don't know which one I'm going to go with yet but that's a lot shorter bow and you can get faster speeds out of it uh, you know, and if I'm, if I would like to feel comfortable shooting an elk at like 50 yards, I'd like to be shooting a fast arrow, mm-hmm. sure. you know, not one of these rainbows.
1: So, for like a novice hunter, then what are some, you know, what are some key factors that you would say? Hey, look, if you're going to buy a bow and you're just getting into it, here are some things to look for. Like you've you've suggested some really interesting things about a bow for your needs, which uh-huh. seem to be. Not niche because obviously a ton of people go at West to hunt, but sure. if you, you know if you're trying to um, include new young hunters, what do you what do you suggest?
0: Yeah, I think most people when they get into hunting, they're hunting whitetail deer. Sure. Uh, so I think it's easier to buy a bow for that. I I think one of the things I liked about my PSE, which was a shorter, more compact bow, was being in a tree stand. Mm-hmm. It's easy to move that around, mm-hmm. and if you're using a climber, especially, then it's. You know, you might be setting up in a tree that's not perfectly ideal, and so there might be more branches. So sure. if you have a, a shorter bow, it's easier to kind of maneuver. Um, where out west, a lot of people do like those longer bows because you're not sitting in a tree. Yeah. You know, you're walking through burns, and you're walking through meadows and basins, and you know, there's not a lot of stuff obstructing where you are. There may be stuff in the way of you your shot. You sure. can't that. Um but so I think you know, for a lot of whitetail hunters that are going to be sitting in a ground blind or sitting in a tree stand where space is limited, a shorter bow is probably what I would gravitate towards. Um, and, and you don't need to have a super heavy pulling bow mm-hmm. to kill deer. Uh-uh. Like I think the first deer I killed, my bow I was pulling like fifty pounds. You know, I, was, I don't know fourteen, fifteen, maybe it was more. But you don't really need a ton of power, right? As long as you have a good sharp arrow and you have a good shot, you're gonna get the penetration you need. You're gonna mm-hmm. get, what'd you say, Matt? Hmm? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think for whitetail hunting, it's getting a bow that fits you good. Mm-hmm. You know, and people at your pro shop can help. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't wanna have your arm completely straight out locked. You wanna have a slight bend in your forearm um, and you wanna get a good draw length. Like mm-hmm. You don't wanna have it stuck way out and you don't wanna be slouched mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, Go to
2: a good pro shop, do research, pick out a couple bows. That you, you know, seem like they interest you. Talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about. Have them fit you to a bow, shoot a couple ones, see whatever is most comfortable to you. Yeah, and have them set everything up for you so it's it's the right fit. Um, whatever say. you can draw comfortably at the end of the day. If it's ten degrees out, you've been sitting in a tree stand for three or four hours if if it's hard to draw your bow when it's the middle of summer and you're shooting good luck trying to draw when you're standing in a tree stand you're you're cold and stiff
0: yeah that's actually a really good point i'd say go to a pro shop shoot them all and yes what he said about if it's cold you still need to be able to pull that bow back and with a bunch of layers Mm -hmm. on yep because your movement's restricted and that's the other thing that i'd tell people if they're going to be planning on hunting when it's cold out which in new york it gets cold in october Mm -hmm. sometimes i've been in my tree stand with my bow and it snowed you might have a poofy jacket on. And if your string comes and hits that jacket <laughs> on your arm, your arrow's messed up. And it's not going where you want it to go. So practice with all of your gear. on. Because it really
2: changes how you shoot. You change your form a little bit. As, as much as you think it doesn't, it really does. Last year, I started shooting with like my hat and throwing a sweatshirt my face mask on and gloves. And it's amazing how much it changes stuff up. and it takes you you know half a dozen different times of shooting before you feel really comfortable. Yeah. Um, like you have all summer shooting.
0: Um, yeah, and like I use a kisser button and mm-hmm. if I have my face mask on, it doesn't sit where it's supposed to sit. Yep. And it feels all weird. Like I made that mistake when I shot that eight point. I got lucky I think, but I like I, I was so excited I was looking through my peep sight with the wrong eye. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, wait, you know? And then with a kisser button I couldn't get it lined up. So I, I think that's great. And if you look at me now It could be the middle of the summer, and I'll be out there in my jacket, my bino harness, my rangefinder, my, you know, my neck guard on, because I need to be used to shooting.
2: All about muscle memory.
0: Yeah, and I might be sweating my tail off, but, uh, you know, when it comes time to actually harvest something, I'm a lot more comfortable Mm -hmm. uh, doing it that way. Anything else, Matt, that you think, you know, for someone who's, like, just getting into getting... Their first bow or something. I think going to a pro shop and just talking to an expert.
2: Yeah, at the end of the day I'm no expert in, in anything about archery. I would just your best bet is go to somebody that is have, them, have you have, you know shoot a couple different bows, um, try out a couple different releases, see what is the most comfortable for you. Have them critique your form. Um, there's plenty of bows out there that are that are you know middle of the road. A lot of these. Top of line bow manufacturers, you know, they might make their their flagship bow that year. But a lot of times, they make another one that's you know three or four hundred dollars cheaper. That really is just last year's technology. There's still yeah. leaps and bounds of what a bow was ten years ago, and, um, yeah. and you, you really, can, it can you can affordably buy something that's going to perform just as well. And you can
0: buy a used bow. Yep. Like there's a like lot of so guys that buy
2: a brand new bow every single year, I, and I they're gonna that. they're gonna sell you know yeah last year's bow for four or five hundred dollars less than what they had before. Exactly.
0: And like um, when I, if I'm looking at bows and stuff like that, just the price of like you were saying, if you get even a manufacturer like say that like Hoyt has their RX4, mm-hmm. that's their top of line bow, and then they've got one that's last year's technology, and RX4 is expensive, you know, so that one might be a few hundred dollars cheaper. Well you could just get on eBay and find an RX3 where an RX4 is gonna be $1, 1400 bucks, depending on what you want on the bow. You can get an RX3 for six, seven hundred dollars. And that's an awesome bow. And a lot
2: of times pro shops will have a couple left over with you before they're trying to get rid of.
0: And they're gonna make you a screaming deal. Mm-hmm. So do your research first, go talk to pro shops, kind of cross-reference what they tell you and what you read, see what feels right. And then make the decision from there. And at the end of the day, it's going to come down to your budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's bows to fit everyone's budget.
2: Yep. Not just bows, but all the, you know, the accessories. That go yeah. It's oh, a quiver. your adds your, up quick. Your, your sight, your arrow rest, stabilizer, mm-hmm. any of that stuff. There's stuff you can get cheap. There's stuff you can really spend a lot of money on. Just whatever you're, you feel the need to spend money.
0: I think that, Jordan, I think we should get Matt, like, a pretty pink... Crossbow mm-hmm. with some like tassels, tassels. Yep, and we should be it for mm-hmm. him. Totally. He's not going to be able to operate his traditional no. bow this year. Oh, no, I'm going to be good, and, and, and I know how big a. Fa- and he's been looking for an excuse to switch to crossbows. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that we should bite the bullet.
1: Yeah, it. you know, we're actually going to put a GoFundMe link down in the description. No, he's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no,
0: Matt hates crossbows.
2: Is that a fair? I don't hate crossbows. I would just much rather use the hates one for him.
0: So we're going to get him a pretty pink one. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's going to be fun. And it's going to shoot those darts with a little rubber end on it that stick to the wall. Perfect. (laughs) And then it's going to say tag by Matt. Yeah. No deer were harmed this hunting season. No deer were harmed this hunting season. Jordan, what kind of bow do you shoot?
1: Uh, I shoot, so speaking of old bows, I just have an old hoyt. I don't even know what model it is yeah. or anything like that it's just you know it's an old Hoyt I've had it for I don't know probably 5-6 years it's fully maxed out you know it's like maxed out um, poundage mm-hmm. you know all that fun stuff so yeah you know it's uh, it was a nice old bow and I've just it shoots great still have it now
0: I have a friend uh, who is working out of town and he's been shooting the same bow for like the last 10 years and he kills deer every year with it and I don't remember if he dropped it or like like, it fell out of his truck or what, but he broke one of the limbs. And the bow was so old, no pro shop had a new limb for it. So he ended up breaking down and buying a new RX-3. That day, wherever he was staying, he had, like, state land close or whatever. Went out hunting with the RX-3, got a doe, he was pumped. But he didn't like it. So he ended up finding a limb for that bow, that 10-year-old bow. Got it fixed, and now he still hunts with the old bow.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. There's a there's an old professional archer that is one of our neighbors, and he still hunts with his old Hoyt. And he's like, man, you just you can't beat it. There's no. There's, there's probably
0: no let off on that bow.
1: No, probably like, not. That's
0: one of the things I think with like bows as they get newer, they increase yeah. like the let off percentage, sure. yeah, how
2: quiet they are, their let off percentage, how fast they are. That's definitely changed a lot over the years. Yeah,
0: but if it works for him, yeah,
1: he loves it. Nah. He shot competition with it, and he's just like, hey, man, bro, don't fix it.
0: <laughs> um,
1: but I do have a question for you guys with regards to the the accessories on your bows. Like, you know, you can, as Matt, you alluded to, you can get as crazy as you want with them. But do you guys find that there is um, – wh- where do you guys draw the line between this is kind of like a gimmicky thing? Like this is what – oh, everybody in the field uses this versus like, hey, man, this is just what I want to use. um,
0: I see people with stabilizers that are two feet long (laughs) off the back and 18 inches long coming off the side. And I'm like, if you need a stabilizer on the back to offset the weight on the front, maybe don't use one that long. (laughs) I think that... I mean, I never used one, Mm -hmm. but I can shoot my bow at 70 yards and be somewhat accurate with a 10-inch stabilizer. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's a gimmicky kind of thing. Sure. Matt would like your opinion. But... I, that one, that's my big one. I don't know. I do have that adjustable sight, mm-hmm. and I'll probably shoot one of those forever. Mm-hmm. I think that that's awesome.
2: That's what I switched to. I bought a new bow last year, and I tried the adjustable single pin sight. Yeah. I really like that. I tried shoot my bow without a stabilizer, and then um, I tried with, with it. It's, I think it's like a seven inch stabilizer. I can't remember what brand. Yeah. Nothing too expensive. I shot better with a seven inch stabilizer without one, so that's what I went with. Um, and then I've also changed to one of the dropaway air rests. I used to always use a whisker biscuit. Um, again, I don't know if it changes anything, but it seemed a little, a little so, quieter drawing because I had issues with the whisker biscuit where it'd get old and, and squeak in squeak, my air when I was yeah. drawing, and I kind of wanted to try to get away from that.
0: Yeah, I went to a dropaway rest this spring when I got that elite. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. The one thing that I was used to, though, about my whisker biscuit on the PSE was when I get done, I just pull the arrow off, pull it straight out. Well, with the drop-away rest, it doesn't get out of your way, so you pull the arrow. I ripped the fletching off one of my brand new arrows.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you got to be careful. kind of like It's just an old Uh, habit, you you know, know? so you
0: got to flick it down. Um, But what gadgets do you see people putting on their bows that you think are just total bullshit?
1: Oh, wait. I have one that I think is actually really, really useful. Matt turned me on to this. Last year, no, two years ago when I got new arrows, and that was at uh, the Illuminok, I think yeah. it's called. Yep.
2: Dude, I tried those two years ago, and they're great. Oh, yeah. When you shoot I, deer with those yeah. things, it's awesome. You can see where you hit. It, it's it's worth it. You can find your arrows so much easier if it, it falls on the deer, you know, 150 yards away when it's running away. It's They're worth the extra, you know, 30 bucks for a three-pack of those yeah. things. Yeah. I thought
1: that was a gimmicky thing, and then I shot it one time, and I was like, oh, this is why this is so awesome. Like, this is why so many people use it. Yeah, so... That's something that is a gizmo, you could say, but not gimmicky.
0: Okay. I found an arrow in the woods doing a deer drive, and it had one of those Aluminocs on it. So Mm -hmm. just one. Mm -hmm. And I put it on one of my arrows, and I used it the next season, which was... So I've had that... I'm just trying to think. I've used that same Aluminoc to kill like two or three deer. (laughs) (laughs) Just the one. And I haven't bought any more. But it actually, if you start shooting like distance, so like 40, 50, 60 yards, it does shoot different than just a regular Yeah, Yep, above. I
2: noticed that. Outside yeah. about 20 yards for me, you can start seeing a little bit of a difference. So yeah. I bought two packages of them and I use them. I put them on all my practice arrows. And even if they don't turn on or anything, they get old and they die, at least it's, it's, it's still, the same weight.
0: Yeah, it's the same so weight. So it's going to shoot the same. Yeah. So that's the one thing I tell people to be careful of. is Don't just have one. Two, sure. unless you're yeah. going to shoot stuff like 20 yards and under. Um, get a few so that you can practice with them and get used to the way that they fly. Uh, but, yeah, those things are worth their weight in gold.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, Matt, I know you didn't get to answer the gizmo question, but I did want to ask or at least pose to you guys, what what is your training regimen with regards to bow hunting? I mean, Dana, I know you're getting ready to go out on a big hunt. So what types of things are you doing with regards to I think you know. i <laughs> yeah i really well like, yeah man sorry you're not doing much of anything right now but
0: i really like Lay's salt and vinegar kettle cooked potato chips <laughs> uh fruit roll-ups are good pop tarts a couple cheeseburgers um nice. no but in all seriousness so <laughs> last year i went out west uh in november I'll come. and so i was going into a completely blind all i known was what i had seen on tv But everyone that I heard talking about it was, you got to be in shape. you got to be in shape. So I was working my tail off. I was running like four days a week. uh, and Maybe not four. Maybe three. I don't know. I can't remember. It was too long ago. But I was getting in what I thought was pretty good shape for the mountains. Like I wasn't like bench pressing 500 pounds, but I was trying to build my endurance and my strength and stuff like that. So that was all great. And then in September, I went rock climbing with a friend of mine, fell off the top of the rock wall 20 feet to the ground messed up my ankle pretty bad. Uh, and so I was like mending my ankle when I still went out there. So mm-hmm. from September to November I didn't get any training in and I I managed, but I wasn't in the shape that I wanted to be. And my buddy who lives out there was like a mountain goat. And so that that was discouraging. So sure. um,
1: And what did your boat what did your bow shooting like what did you with a rifle last oh, year? Oh okay.
0: Yeah, so three oh eight. So um, for shooting, he told me to be comfortable shooting up to 500 yards. I knew that I didn't want to take one at 500 yards because to me that doesn't feel like hunting. Sure. You know, it feels like shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I could get one within a couple hundred yards, I'd have been happy. Fortunately, I got one at like 75 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I practiced at distance, at, at good distance. And I think the farthest I went out was like 450. I uh, got a comfortable shooting there. I did get a good scope for the rifle um and just got comfortable shooting you know from the prone position from sitting from resting on a pack uh so all that so then when this bull came in at 70 yards and I was freehand with no rest because he scared you know it all happened so quick I was able to drill mm-hmm. um this year my kind of I guess training regimen it, it been more on more hikes mm-hmm. you know just like walking through the woods and I haven't gotten to the point where I'm like oh I'm gonna throw a dumbbell on my backpack and go walking because. I don't know if I don't want to look like a goober, or I just don't feel like I need to, or I'm lazy, but just been going walking, and Rachel goes, um, and I shoot probably five days a week, at least. Um, Most weeks, I'm shooting every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last couple weeks, I've slacked off, but um, I shoot almost every day, probably 50 arrows, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I got a, a big enough yard that I can shoot out to 100 yards mm-hmm. and I will never shoot at an animal 100 yards sure but it makes 40 feel like a chip shot oh, yeah and it makes 70 sure. feel really easy and just getting used to what my arrow's doing with different wings so if it's windy out I'll go out and shoot mm-hmm. just so I can see okay there's a 15 mile an hour crosswind what's my arrow doing sure um, so I take advantage of the different weather uh, but I'm shooting almost every day
1: so as like an archer that's you know getting into this uh, this sport the, you're, you're you're not suggesting, oh, hey, let's go out at 50 yards right off the bat and just start it. So what are you? What are your thoughts on this? And here's this?
0: the other thing. You've got to be good at 10 yards. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. I'll go out and I'll just shoot 10 yards. I'll shoot 20 arrows at 10 yards. Sure. And that might sound redundant, mm-hmm. but people don't practice at those short ranges. And so often that it happens that they're right there. Sure. Um, but a good range for new hunters and people that maybe just be getting into whitetail hunting I wouldn't really go above 20, 25 yards, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's, and for a lot of people, like a lot of traditional bow hunters, they won't go farther than that because they feel like, I want it to feel like I'm hunting. I want it to feel like there, and I like, it makes me feel more accomplished if I can get that animal in close. Sure. And that's pretty much how I am with deer. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'll be with elk, because I'll tell you, when I saw that one that I shot last year, I couldn't barely see straight. I was so excited. Yeah. So, and I don't know. Mm. but um i'd like to be prepared to shoot one at a distance because i just don't know what's going to happen sure um but i think you know for people that are newer and getting into bow hunting just practice at 20 25 yards and try to shoot a couple times a week if you can yeah and and what i always did growing up and what my dad had us do was you know at the time bow season opened october 15th it was changed a couple years ago so it'd be like September thirtieth, and he'd be like, let's get our bows out. And so for the first, for the couple of weeks leading up to bow season, we shoot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it get to be the season. And my dad's just a really good shot, so he pulls his bow out, shoot one arrow, center bullseye. He's like, oh, I'm good. Let me put a broadhead and try that. Yep, yeah, perfect. Okay, I'm good. And then I'm over here hitting like every you know corner of the target, mm-hmm. and not get going close to where I'm aiming. But once the season would hit we wouldn't really practice that much. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like playing sports. You know how you work out so much in the off season mm-hmm. and then it gets to be the season you have games and you're yeah. like, oh, I'm sore, I'm not going to work out. That's I think you... that that starts to happen yeah. to people yeah. hunting. Um, so, but, so I try to be aware of that. And even throughout the season, I'll, I'll fling a few arrows the yeah. week. Yeah. Before you go out hunting
2: every day, you know, shoot three or four arrows on your, on your walkout when you're all ready to go, you're all dressed and stuff like that. And it's kind of good practice before you get out there. Yeah. A couple uh, times a week throughout bow season. It kind of keeps you up to date. Mm-hmm.
1: And now, what about the transition between, you know, if you're shooting at a target on the ground, you're on the ground, and then you climb a tree stand? How, you know, how different is that? Like, how, how frequently do you practice?
0: Um, I don't practice from an elevation as much as some people. Some people think that it makes a really big difference in the trajectory of your arrow because you have gravity that you have to factor for and stuff. No. Um, but the. And I think it does make a difference to a degree, um, but the the shooting that I've been doing, knowing that I'm going to be on the ground mm. shooting at these elk or sure. mule deer out there, is I'm putting a target uphill from me, and oh. then I'm going downhill, and then cool. I'm going over here, and so I'm, I'm changing it up. If I wasn't going out west this year, I probably like I have a section of my yard that's way high, and then if I cross the driveway. And that's what I did last year. Oh, that's cool. Like, so, like, I could sit up on a ledge in my yard and shoot it down, and it pretty much emulated being in a tree stand. Um, I don't think it makes it as big of a difference, especially if you're only shooting 20 yards. Sure. I mean, it might change it an in inch. And if you're within an inch, you're in a kill zone. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, did that answer your question?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That was very cool. All
0: right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, thanks for stopping over. Uh, everybody, go on Instagram, follow us at Keeping It Wild Outdoors. Uh, go to where our podcasts are available iTunes, Spotify, click that farthest right hand star. Leave us a review if you feel like it. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. Uh, and until next time, keep it wild.